Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. My name is Trainer Chip Ritchie and I'm joined as always by my co-host Azul GG. What's going on Azul? How are we feeling? Hey Chip, I'm doing all right. A little bit tired. We both just got back from Salt Lake City over the weekend. You were casting. I was playing, but it was a good break, a good weekend. A ton of fun to be back at the uh, the IRL events. Before we break down what we're talking about today, uh, just want to give a big thanks to everyone who's listening to the podcast. Already had almost 500 subs on the YouTube channel. A uh, ton of listens over on you know the other various websites. Mm-hmm. A ton of views on the first video as well. So that's great. Glad you guys are enjoying the podcast. I'm going to keep bringing it to you uh, every single Tuesday. So, Chip, what are we taking a look at today? Yeah, we're going to be looking at a lot today. First off, we've got a brand new item card that has been teased that's coming out. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. That's definitely a little exciting. We're going to be breaking down our experience at Salt Lake City. You know, uh, the venue, the t- the tournament, the city, all that stuff. Our perspectives from Azul as a player and myself as a caster. And we're also going to break down the results Talking about the decks that won, the meta that ended up showing up. Surprisingly, no Mew VMAX in top eight. We're definitely going to break it all down and give our thoughts and opinions on all of that. We're, of course, going to have Guess That Flavor Text, everyone's favorite segment. Uh, And uh, at the end, we'll be breaking down the expected meta for Liverpool Regionals, which is coming up. And it's not too often these days that we have weekends like this where it's back-to-back-to-back regionals. That was kind of the norm for a long time in the Pokemon TCG. Um, It's a little different now, I guess, because it's spread out across three different parts of the world. But uh, the metas of each of these events definitely impact the next one. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So that's going to be exciting to... I'm just looking forward... I was really looking forward to Australia. I'm going to be looking forward to... Uh, this was a very exciting weekend. I'm going to be looking forward to... Uh, was it Liverpool as well? Right. But the first thing we're going to talk about today is that item card. I feel like there's never been a card leaked or being revealed in this way before. There's like so much hype around this card. Am I wrong to say that? Or this kind of feels like there's just an insane amount of hype around whatever this card does. It's supposed to get leaked this week, right? Yeah, that is what it looks like. So Poke Guardian over on Twitter. I need to pull it back up again. Uh, they tweeted out that a new returning item card from the past uh, will be in S10 Space Juggler, so Japan's next set. I think a mini set, actually. Uh, it's going to be revealed tomorrow during a live stream match by the official Pokemon Card Game YouTube channel. So that'll be in Japanese. It'll be revealed in Japanese, and it will be live streamed uh, tomorrow for us. We're recording Monday night, but... Uh, should be the same day you're listening to this if you're listening to this podcast on the day it is revealed. So I don't think we've had an item card quite teased like this or a card really teased like this before release. So it's definitely really interesting. Normally the website just gets updated and then we see a bunch of the people who do the translations on Twitter just posting as many translations as they can crank out as quickly as possible. Yeah, this is kind of weird. And there's a ton of people making a bunch of guesses on what they think it's going to be. Um, and then we're going to both going to Give our guesses as well on what we what we hope it will be and then what we think it will actually be. And I've seen a bunch of different stuff thrown out there, but a lot of them seem to be uh, their guesses are like with cards. You know, they're basically there's already a card that's coming out or very similar to it. I've seen stuff like Reset Stamp, Super Rod. We have Ordinary Rod. Roxanne's coming out. So those right. don't make a whole ton of sense to me. Uh, I know we talked and you said Trainer's Mail, and I'm like... Uh, maybe they just saw Mew do pretty bad and immediately emergency hit the, be- <laughs> hit the like, we need another card from you. Print trainers mail. They were like, you didn't make top eight. Um, that would be pretty a pretty crazy card to come out. There's a lot of things that could change or a lot of decks that could probably utilize that very heavily. Um, but my guess would probably have to be, I mean, that's what I, if I hope it would be reset stamp, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think 
it'll probably be something like a communication though. Um, but we do have a lot of Pokemon search right now, so it's really hard to kind of pinpoint down what it actually will be. Yeah, I think my thoughts on this is that it has to be something pretty significant. You know, if they were just reprinting you know, some just mediocre item card that's existed before or like i mean because it also could be cards that don't have a e regulation mark print right so like some cards that have d regulation marks like rare candy and energy switch these are cards that are almost always in pokemon tcg formats uh and they don't have uh e regulation marks you know for future formats for future rotations but i don't think that if it was something just like that that they would make a big deal out of it right i think that yeah, it's not uh, worth the not worth the hyping up something right. like that for sure when it's almost like expected that we'll get a reprint of that at some point yeah so i i definitely feel like it's going to be something big i've seen some people throwing out there that versus seeker is a potential that's a card that's existed several times through the history of the game and really it was originally printed in fire red leaf green didn't really see very much play. It was printed again in Supreme Victors. Didn't really see very much play. And it wasn't until Phantom Forces when the format had changed so much. Uh, you know, every deck is playing four Professors uh, Sycamore, right? Just turboing through the deck that cards like Versus Seeker became really strong because you could play kind of techie one of supporters. And I honestly wouldn't mind seeing something like Versus Seeker come back. I know that it's a uber powerful card in a format like this with Ultra Ball with... Uh, Sycamore, but I one of the I love the fact that it lets you play a lot of techie supporters um, because it just lets you do more with your deck and with your deck building. It, it, you can in your deck building process put more outs to specific matchups. Right, it's it, it's easier to play uh, tech supporters like Roxanne, which is coming out. Right, you know it's hard to justify playing Roxanne maybe in certain decks at a high count because it's a useless card at the beginning of the game. But if you just play one copy and four versus Seeker, you have more reasonable access to it. So I feel like that could be a potential but that's definitely a really high power one and i feel like a lot of people would be a little upset to see uh, versus seeker get a reprint yeah that would definitely be one that would be i mean i would like it and it would make sense to release it alongside roxanne but maybe not until i don't even know if this goes in rotation but we already have the single strike via seeker which would basically become a, a useless Welcoming card uh which would basically become a useless card if via seeker got printed and then we have the the double card that gets back a supporter as well. The basically That's cross true. switcher for what's it called. So That's it seems true. like we already have cards that they would just basically be negated. Um, so maybe if we get closer, I don't know if those cards rotate when rotation hits, but if they do, then maybe that's when we see something like a VSC no. or come back. Yeah, the cross um, it's cross receiver, I think, is the name of the that's card. That's what it is, yeah. And, uh, I, I don't, like, it just came out in Fusion Strike, right? So it's not going to rotate oh, yeah, for it did. a couple right. years. So that's a good point. I don't think that it will be something similar to what exists, like you said. Like, I've seen some people throwing out Float Stone. You know, we already have Air Balloon. I think it would be kind of weird for them to kind of, because Float Stone is just kind of a busted card, right? It just giving anything uh zero retreat uh so i think yeah. like they've done this block in the sword and shield block they've done a really good job of kind of scaling back some of the super broken cards from the history of the game right like the floatstone you know giving us air balloon instead um there's a few other examples i can't think of it off the top of my head but you'll uh, blow her giving us scrapper yes yes yeah, yeah, I saw a couple people mention Field Blower. I was like, no, do not bring that card as broken. I don't think people understand how good Field Blower was because it doesn't seem like it has that big of an impact on the game. But it's it, you get so much control over so many things uh, through one card. I hope they do not give us Field Blower back. That would be not good. But they probably won't because we do have Scrapper. 
So that will be coming out today. It might have already been revealed by the time you're watching this, but at the point of recording, we're not quite sure what it will be. So uh, yeah, future us, I'm sure, will be very <laughs> excited to see <laughs> what it is uh, as well. So as we mentioned at the top of the show, we are both coming back from Salt Lake City, the first regionals that either of us has been to in two years and it was just an amazing experience getting to go back into a venue hall, you know, seeing the all the Pokemon, you know, banners and, you know, all the people in the same place who love Pokemon, you know, the vendors, all the tables, you know, hearing the words Pokemon players, welcome to round one. You have 50 minutes. You may begin like just the, the stuff like that. It just it, it kind of brought like a chill almost of, uh, yeah, where this is uh, this is what we love and we're back to doing it. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It was great to be back. Um, and uh, it was, I like Utah a lot, or Salt Lake City specifically, I guess. Um, I like the location. There's been two other regionals there. Uh, it wasn't held in the same venue, but the other venue was really close to the city, so I'd been down downtown a couple times. So, yeah, uh, love the location. It's beautiful there with the mountains and everything. Yeah, this um, was my first time ever going to Salt Lake. I'd never been to one of the regionals there before. And when you are walking through the airport, um, you come into this like big open like atrium type space right before you leave to bag claim and it's a huge glass wall and you look outside the glass and it, you can just see these beautiful snow capped mountains and it like almost like gave chills. It just <laughs> literally was beautiful. Awesome location. Um, the venue wasn't super close to a bunch of like quick eating places that was probably like one little downside it was right across the street from the venue where the uh utah jazz plays which was kind of cool there was a utah jazz game friday night so there's a bunch of like people yeah. out on the street with the jerseys and all that stuff uh but yeah it was a lot of fun beautiful location it did snow a little bit on sunday which was uh, you know i think cool for a lot of people traveling from places that they don't get much snow uh so yeah it was it was definitely a great spot yeah, I saw one guy go outside just to try and catch some snow. He was from he was from California. He hadn't seen snow before. <laughs> so oh, that, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> that was funny. Um, for sure. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, so I played at the event and uh, I ended up playing Mew VMAX. Uh, our testing the night before led to the same results of Mew can kind of beat anything. Uh, I did end up going six and three um, overall. So I didn't make day two. Uh, one of the series I definitely, definitely could have at least pushed to game three because I dead drew game two, but I, I get, should get, could have given myself a better shot in game one. But my next two series, man, it kind of just felt like, uh, you know, so those series where it's like they weren't meant to, they weren't yours to, to kind of win. It was like a combination of my opponents getting unlucky with like stuff like top deck boss or getting lucky with stuff like top deck boss. And then on my side, whenever I had an opportunity to close out the game, you know, I just couldn't ever draw into to anything. Uh, and then I dead drew game two, I think, in both of those series as well. So, um, yeah, just wasn't my my tournament overall. I wasn't disappointed with the deck choice for sure. I felt like I could beat everything. I learned so much more about Mew VMAX as well throughout the tournament. I feel like the deck I, I'm I was surprised at how much more powerful the deck is than what I thought it was before going into it. But uh definitely still had a fun time and I wasn't too concerned with my result over overall going into it uh at all. So that's really interesting, like uh realizing kind of how powerful the deck was as you played it. Do you really feel like you get that big of a different grasp playing a deck in a real paper tournament like that versus playing it just online ladder versus or even like an online tournament something like that is the experience that much different that much unique uh i think definitely a little bit more it definitely is slightly different a little bit yeah definitely more unique for sure i don't know so when people i feel like you're when you're playing in a best two out of three 
and you're like playing around more things. I don't know. I just felt like I saw more opportunities to do different stuff than I usually kind of play towards online. Maybe it's just because I was like a little bit more focused, a little bit more in the zone. You know, usually when I'm playing online, I'm I'm streaming, I'm talking to chat, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Or when, even when I'm playing in tournaments online, I play like more gimmicky decks, you know, to either try stuff out or just try to like push the limits of uh, of some decks. How far can they actually go? Um but yeah, overall it was uh, it was it was fun, and yeah, I was I was surprised by how much more powerful I thought I thought Mew was. Um, and I'm actually curious how many Mews were there on stream because I didn't watch much of the stream at all. But you were casting, so how many Mews were there? Well, I didn't cast every round, so I don't know a hundred percent. But we definitely, when we're picking rounds for casting, there's a lot of factors that go into it: the player that it is, the the deck that it is. You know, we want to feature unique decks. We want to give new players a chance as well. If someone is a, a newer player who is playing a unique deck, we want to feature that a lot of the time because we want to give players a chance to make a name for themselves. But then also we want to feature the top players, the pe the players that people love that uh, they want to be cheering for, um, you know, players that people already know well. So trying to find a mix of that is always tough. And, um, but I think initially at the start of the day, we, we started the very first round that we streamed was round number four and we brought on Rahul Reddy, popular player that people know. And, uh, you know, Rahul definitely has his fans. And then, of course, uh, and then we brought on another player who was playing a Mew Max deck. So we started off with Mew Max, like, hey, this is the format. Um, and after that, we tried very adamantly to not stream Mew Max <laughs> because we assumed we were going to be streaming a lot of Mew Max in day two. And it just so happens <laughs> that that's not exactly what happened. <laughs> uh, yeah. No Mew Maxes ended up making top eight at the tournament, which is pretty wild. Yeah, no, that was uh, definitely a surprise. Um, I think the number one thing to note is that most of the the notable players, the names you'll recognize, did not play Mew VMAX. And one thing I always say is that you know skill kind of trumps uh, deck choice. And then when you combine skill with the proper deck choice for a tournament, that's where it gets really scary. That's why Tord wins so many tournaments, right? Um, so skill is definitely the initial trump in that in that face off, though. If you if you're you know, just an average player, but you ha you found the perfect deck. It's still going to be hard for you to go up against the best players in the world, even if they're playing a more subpar play. So, um, and that's what we, I think we saw a lot. So I wouldn't be surprised, you know, uh, coming up next weekend if it's just eight Mews in top eight. <laughs> yeah. So just uh, a little bit more about casting in Salt Lake. You know, it was a great time. You know, big thanks to Pokemon for asking me to come out uh, back to regionals once again to, uh, you know, broadcast the game. It was so much fun. We had a new uh, caster on the cast, Adam Watson, Scarzig, and I think Adam did a great job. He comes from outside the Pokemon sphere, and so I think a, a lot of people were a little hesitant about that inclusion of like, okay, this is not someone from our game. Why are we bringing this person in? But Adam is a very professional trading card game caster you know he, he's uh done Ru legends of runeterra worlds and does regular tournaments for them i know from talking to him um and he's done a lot of other tcgs and competitive card games over the years so i think just that level of understanding and being a professional caster really lends itself well to uh you know just going on for a tcg stream and that's kind of a normal thing in broadcasting in general like even in sports broadcasting or any type of event where you'll have one of the people who's a commentator or a caster uh, who, you know, is just really good at hosting, really good at, you know, kind of talking through the storylines, the event and what all is happening. And then the other person who knows the topic extremely well, who's an expert on the topic. So I think it actually made for a really good mix. So shout outs to Skarzig for uh, killing it at his uh, his first Pokemon Regionals. 
Yeah, that was cool to see someone new up there for sure. I haven't I haven't listened to any of it. I'm sure I'm gonna be watching the stream. I'm gonna be watching the whole stream on my stream at some Do point, like just breaking down the game and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So I'm sure I'll get uh, a, some experience of that. But uh, yeah, usually when you work for Riot Games, you're gonna be pretty good at casting if you're casting for them. Because I've watched <laughs> a lot of League of Legends, they're, they're pretty good uh, for sure. Um, uh, and now that we actually, I, especially for me, I guess specifically, now we've actually went to the event. We talked kind of a, a little bit about the you know the COVID protocols that happened at Brisbane. Um, they were different here, um, and who knows? We don't know what their venue setup was like, but here the tables were you know spaced out. You know, it was one table for two games, which was I'm not gonna lie, being a player was super nice. You had so <laughs> much space to work with. I've never had that much space at a tournament. So every table. There was two uh, two games per table, you know, mm-hmm. the normal six foot tables and the tables were spaced out like four feet apart. So you had like so much room to work with, which was super nice. Uh, we were allowed to cut uh, and, you know, uh, cut our opponent's decks, uh, check their discard piles, uh, which we which going into it, we kind of assumed we hadn't heard anything yet. So we kind of assumed that that we would be allowed to. Yeah, I was actually um, I curious maybe, about that because I, I wasn't in there. I, I didn't I was not there at the very beginning like right before the start of round one so was there any sort of announcements about that conveyed to the players about like hey it's okay if you guys touch each other discard piles or was there announcements about if you don't want to touch have someone touch your cards you can do this anything like that i don't think there was and i think it might have been enforced the other way it's like you you, if you want to cut your opponent's deck you maybe are just allowed to because if if you're not allowed to then a judge has to come and do it which is basically the same thing so they're not going to waste time and waste their staff's time coming over to cut everyone's deck who doesn't want their opponent to cut it which would be the same thing unless there, unless a judge has carries around like a pair of tongs or something and it's like <laughs> <laughs> cutting the the people's decks for them or something like or brings like one of those automatic shuffling machines or something like imagine um, just walking around so, like judge yeah, I need to cut <laughs> the tongs which would just be silly so I think it, it probably would have been enforced the other way it's just like well if you don't want to cut your deck you can concede the match and leave the venue I guess like leave the tournament so uh, but I don't think it was like a big deal I don't think anyone thought it was a big deal and uh, yeah ton of space everything went super smoothly as far as the, the COVID stuff went all the COVID protocols went as far as I could tell I'm sure they turned some people away um, who I've heard either, some stories yeah. <laughs> yeah either didn't have Vax cards yeah. or were like late I think the biggest one was people were late on the booster I think there was I heard a story about one guy who was a day late um, so they could come in Sunday if they wanted to to hang out, but they weren't able oh. to actually play Friday, Saturday. They were just like a couple days late. So that's kind of rough for those people. But the information was out there, was available to everyone. So no one really to blame, but a learning experience, I think, for the community in general going forward for the next couple of regionals. And it definitely felt like a very safe uh, you know, place to be as far as COVID goes, right? Like you didn't feel super risky. You know, it's definitely still weird times out there. Uh, I think Pokemon overall did a very good job. Uh, So before we break down the results of the tournament, there is definitely an issue that happened in the tournament that we want to cover quickly, uh, and that is that a player was disqualified from the tournament after the final standings were posted. So final standings go up at the end of round 14 before top cut starts. So that's just the list of all the day two players where their final standing is. And typically what will happen is the final standings will go up. Players have a couple sec- uh, minutes to verify like, okay, yes, this is the result. This is what my record should be. And then once it is, the f- final standings are finalized. And at that point, the top 16, top 32, and top 64 players can go up and get their prizing. And uh, the top eight players get their decks checked before top eight play begins. And sometimes issues can come up during deck checks, uh, and deck checks happen throughout the event as well, randomly. 
like during day two, like you'll, if you sit down for a round, you might just have a judge come up at the start of the round and say, Hey, we're going to check your decks before the round. And that definitely happens a lot of times. I'm sure you've had your decks <laughs> checked many times in day two and like before top eight. So what are some of your like experiences before cut at a regionals with like, uh, having deck checks or any issues from deck check? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been deck checked a lot, of course. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the, I guess the one issue that comes up that it feels like this is kind of a problem with the cards is the one issue I've had is, is one of that have different hollow patterns and all my other cards getting pulled out and then me getting a gameplay penalty or warnings uh, for it with stuff. I've had problems with a specs or uh, Madison regionals, last round of Madison regionals. The last one we had uh, my heat factory, but it's like that card is hollow patterned different from same with a spec different from every other card. It's so hard to like stop those cards from bending or warping in a certain way. Um, which can make it rough. And those have always been my issues. It's just been when it's when it's one of those cards that is just you know it stands out differently from everything. Um, I've had I've had game losses from that before, but besides that, nothing like too extreme. Never gotten the DQ before, thankfully, uh, and hopefully hopefully never will. Um, but um, right. <clears throat> and so the issue here that arose that led to this player being DQ'd, um, you know, just from what we are able to talk about is or what we know, I guess, is uh, that. The normal deck check happened. There was some issue with some of the players' sleeves. And sleeve issues happen throughout tournaments, right? Like, you know, you get little bins in the corners. Uh, you know, you break a sleeve or two, something like that. And usually uh, normal wear and tear is something that judges are aware is going to happen, right? You're playing a lot of Pokemon, shuffling a lot. You play a lot of games. Um, so usually it's just like a minor little warning, and you have to change your sleeves out. We actually pulled up the tournament... Um, to reference this we wanted to reference the actual like tournament guidelines what everything says so uh there's a whole section in the pokemon rules and resources the rules handbook about deck legality um so a minor deck legality issue would result in a warning and that could include under these lists this list of things a handful of cards in a player's deck have uh Factory defects on the back of the sleeves. However, the combination of cards does not create a pattern that would provide the player with a significant advantage. So if some yeah. of the sleeves, like sometimes if you use sleeves from like two different boxes or two different packs that are the same color, there will be like a slight hue difference, right? Where one's slightly lighter than the other one and you could technically see the difference if you like looked at it in just the right light. And whenever that's the case, there's always a chance that, um, you know, someone could gain an advantage theoretically, so if it's in a way that it doesn't seem like there's a pattern, it's just a, a minor uh, thing and it's a warning. Yeah, I had one. I had played against one player once who had like some of their deck was matte, uh, matte sleeves, and some of them was gloss. So they're same color sleeves, but you can definitely <laughs> yeah, feel the this. difference. Yeah. <laughs> you can definitely feel the difference between glass and matte. Um, but yeah, I didn't think he was doing anything fishy he seemed like a pretty honest dude so but he, i did i did uh call over a judge and we had him i think he ended up having to re-sleeve uh his deck to one or the other i forget what it was but yeah half of them were matte half of them were glossy so that was <laughs> you definitely can't do anything like that but yeah anything that pretty much references anything like the corner bends or like the you know corner bends or when there's like the weird like bumps on the card sleeve sometimes yeah. um that was like uh things that you didn't do on purpose right so the issue here became for this player that there was all we know is like there was an issue with some of the sleeves and that issue led to the disqualification. So just trying to surmise what may or may not have happened here, looking at the penalty guidelines, 
uh, you know, if it's just like, you know, a couple of cards or, you know, look a little different or there's a little damage, that should be a minor and a warning. There is under, uh, there's a chance for a severe deck legality uh, problem, a severe deck legality penalty, and that would be something like the example provided. The sleeves on the special energy cards in a player's deck are slightly longer than the rest. So just like if there's a slight, you know, that'll happen sometimes, right? Like uh, out of a different pack, they're slightly, some are slightly taller than others. Uh, that yeah. would, I, I feel like different colors would also, uh, you know, fit under that category or uh, like a little mark or something on a sleeve, like a bend in a corner would also fit under that category, right? But the suggested yep. penalty for that is uh, a game loss. So to me, you know, these are the guidelines that Pokemon judges look at and follow, they didn't feel like this player's sleeve issue fit under the minor category and they felt like it was worse than severe because if it was if it fit under severe the result would have just been a game loss and that actually happened to me in top 8 of Athens regionals my opponent uh had a game loss coming into top 8 because of a sleeve issue um something along those lines right so that was an instance where there wasn't um you know, anything escalated past that. Um, but then, so we look at the, you know, the severe game loss is the recommendation, but obviously this player didn't get a game loss. They got a disqualification. So that must mean that something was just worse than what those issues were that we just described. Yeah. So then, I mean, I guess, I guess that means basically like if the corners got naturally, like if they think the corners just randomly all got bent on all your special energy throughout a tournament. So it looks fishy, but they don't think you're cheating. So it's a game loss, but then past that, what becomes a DQ? It's when they think it's cheating. It's a, it's a DQ. And I feel like with Pokemon, usually if they think you're cheating, they also ban you. I don't know if the, I don't think the player's been banned yet. Um, but I feel like that's usually how it goes. I know also uh, it does feel weird to actually give a game loss for something like that, where it's like, we don't think you're cheating or we're going to give you a game loss anyways. Um, I feel like in those situations, it should just be like all or nothing. It should be like, okay, we think you're cheating. You're DQ'd. Or it's like, okay, you need to stop. This needs to stop happening. Make sure you check your sleeves. We know it's probably random. We don't think you're cheating. No game loss. Get a warning. If it happens again, that's where you escalate it to. I mean, I would just assume a DQ, maybe a ban. Um, Cause that's when they actually think you're cheating. So it feels weird. It's like they're, they're basically saying you're not cheating, uh, but we're still punishing you for for not cheating because then we, they also think it's a random event, right? Like, where's the it feels so weird to, like, rule it that way. Yeah, definitely. So now the, so the way it works is like that that issue arose. The player was disqualified after the final standings were finalized. And so the way that things work is that player is effectively their name is removed from the tournament. They are no longer they it's like they didn't even go to the tournament. And then everyone who uh, moves up a spot, right? Everyone who was below that player moves up a spot. So now the person who got ninth place moves up to eighth place. The person who got 17th moves up to 16th. And that is relevant because now those players have achieved more championship points and also more prize money, more booster packs, like all the stuff that they would normally get for getting top eight, they get. But where the issue kind of arose, and I, I feel like, you know, it can maybe seem a little unfair in these instances, is the player who moved from ninth place to eighth place wasn't able to play in top cut yeah and i definitely don't like that i think i i think the re a reasonable reason and an argument for it is well what if that player leaves the venue right are they gonna go hunt them down or they shouldn't or or they should be like one call over the loudspeaker and if they don't show up in five minutes they don't get to play which i think is fine and if they show up you know if they didn't run off you know go get dinner head back to their hotel room whatever leave um and if they show up then they should be able to play because like you know theoretically this happened before top eight started right, right? right. they like checked the, check the decks like oh 
this player's got an issue. Uh, maybe they let all the other games start to get ahead while they discuss it. But the, if they're discussing it, that means they could have ended at the point where they decided, oh, we're not going to DQ them and we'll let them play their their match. So then they would have still been behind in time. But even if you go to DQ them, you bring the other player back, um, who would have been Andre in this instance, let them still let them play their let them play as well. Right. So it feels weird to not give them a chance to play. And sure, if they leave and they don't show up in five minutes after you yell over the loudspeaker, okay, it's a game or double game loss, and then you move on, the, the player moves on. But it feels weird to not give them the the person who got bumped up their their chance to play in top eight. Yeah, and these things have happened before where, you know, someone gets disqualified in top eight. It usually is for some sort of deck check issue because there's no play happening at this point, right? Uh, and this has happened before, and this has been kind of the norm, the the thing that, you know, that Pokemon does because I think the reasoning is because it is the final standings. The standings have been finalized. Cut has been set. The prizing, uh, you know, is set or whatever. But then the prizing is not really set, right? Because people yeah. move up and, and get different things. So it doesn't yeah. really make that much sense to me and maybe almost feels a little inconsistent because you get bumped up for the prizing should you also get bumped up for top cut. And I, I would definitely love to see that happen. And maybe that's something they'll address in the future. But it definitely you know feels a little bad in that instance whenever you were the player who bubbled out of cut. You find out, <laughs> okay, I'm oh, I did get top eight. But wait, I can't play in top eight? It definitely yeah. uh, just feels a little bad. Yeah, it feels it feels very weird, but uh, let's move along. Let's move on to the rest of it. And it's definitely something Yeah, I think we both agree on for sure. But uh, there's a lot and I think we could talk about this for forever. But there's a lot more tournament to talk about. Um, and then let's talk about the general numbers. We had 626 masters. So we got nine rounds. day one, five rounds. day two. I believe we need you need 800 for six rounds. That's day right, two, right? Yeah. That was a change a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, once um, we finally got to that many players <laughs> at yeah. tournaments regularly. And I feel like there should be a point where it cuts the top 16 as well. Like maybe a thousand players, maybe at the 800 mark, there should be a point, maybe a seventh round, but I think top 16 would be cooler. I think if they cut to a top 16, instead of adding another round, that would be, I would prefer that personally as a, as a player. I think it's just like a a, a, a way to switch it up a little bit. Um, Yeah. Mew, we don't know the numbers from you in day one, uh, but day two, uh, there was a lot of them. Yeah. I think it was well over. uh, I don't want to say a hundred percent because I didn't, uh, totally check the numbers but it was a high percentage of day two a lot of Mews made it into day two a lot of Mew was play- like i mean just walking around the tournament during day one almost every table uh through round four <laughs> five six whenever i'm looking at the top like 20 30 tables it was like almost all Mew. it was still without a doubt the most played deck in the room but zero ended up making top eight yeah zero in top eight um and i think i mentioned this earlier but there was a lot of people trying to beat Mew, first of all, yeah. right? So that's the number one thing. And especially when you're deck, if you feel like you have that edge against Mew um, with so many in the room, I mean, I heard about players who hit nine Mews uh, in nine rounds, Jeez, right? I played okay. against two personally. I hit two mirror matches. But yeah, I heard about people who hit like nine of them. I mean, you could easily have hit seven and, you know, six and five. So if you you just have that edge and you're beating all of them, you're going to be in a really good spot. Um, but the biggest thing, you look at all the names in Top Cut and none of them really surprise you, I feel like, for the... For the for the most part, um, I think Nick is maybe the only name I don't recognize, but I've heard I've heard he's a good player. Someone I talked to someone else at the tournament, like yeah, I played against him. He's really really good. Um, so no surprise, and, I, and he works with Ian Rob, who is one of the best players in the game. So you can't so you know he's probably learning a lot from Ian. Um, so when you look at all the names, you know all the names. So it's really no surprise that they're in top cut. So the deck the deck they choose should also should also not be a surprise as well. So I think that's kind of. Mew's not Mew's not dead. <laughs> I'm just gonna put it that way. Mew's not dead. I wouldn't be surprised 
if Liverpool next week, if there was eight Mews in the top eight of Liverpool, or if even just the limitless group decides to bring it, um, I expect quite a few in top eight in Liverpool. But we'll see. We'll see what happens um, for sure. Yeah, and I think a big part of Mews... Uh, you know, obviously, like it feels like a lot of the top tier players chose to not play Mew. And I think I heard a lot of players saying, like, I didn't want to play Mew because I just didn't want to play mirror matches all day. Right. Because then it, if you're playing, if you're two top level level players and you're playing a Mew mirror match, it really comes down to just it's it's just a straight 50 50 and just playing straight 50 50s all day is not, you know, usually a good strategy to try to win a Pokemon tournament. <laughs> you're just kind of hoping for a bunch of coin flips to go your way. <laughs> Uh, but it did feel like what, so in, in, as opposed to playing Mew, if you weren't playing Mew, it definitely felt like you were playing things that were countering Mew as best as they could. Darkness yeah. type, you know, the, the Moltres, Galarian Moltres, um, you know, things like Malamar VMAX we've seen, um, yeah, pop up on the stream and stuff. And then also heavy path to the peak in a lot of the Arceus lists. A lot of players playing three and some even playing four copies of path to the peak in their decks. Gengar, of course, being a darkness type, also playing path to the peak. Um, so I think all of those things combined kind of lead to why Mew underperforms. Yeah, I think overall, I mean, that has to be like kind of one of the reasons that it didn't do great. Um, I definitely, I don't know. when I was walking around, I saw plenty of Mew players with <laughs> uh, a full board, no energy in play, two or three cards in hand, and there's a path to the peak in play. And they drew and uh, <laughs> passed. <laughs> you know, there was definitely plenty of that from when I was walking around and watching some games. Yeah, so it might be, and I, yeah, yeah. So there was, there's a lot of that. And I, but I, but I think, you know, it might be just a little bit of an adjustment period for uh, adjustment period for Mew. More stadiums, just learn how to play around path a little bit better. Um, <clears throat> but we'll see how it goes. But uh, with all that said, uh, you know Gengar did win the tournament, uh, but there was no path to the peak in right. Drew's list. And actually, I had seen an Arceus Gengar build going into the tournament. Tried it out myself on stream. Uh, it was a Mark. I don't quite know how to pronounce it. Dizon, Dizon, uh, pretty good player in Canada. Um, who played it at a local tournament, tweeted out their list. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Arceus sets up the Gengar. Gengar with Choice Belt KOs other Arceus. Um, uh, there was paths in, in in his build, but Drew decided not to play the Paths of the Peak, which was interesting. Um, and of course, this is Arceus and Gengar, so there's no Houndoom as well. Um, and we haven't seen the full 60 yet. Keeping it on the down low for right now, Drew is. <laughs> but we know all the spice that was in there, and there, there was quite a bit of it. Yeah, you could definitely figure out Drew's 60 cards. I feel like if you watch the stream, he, he was on, I think, three times total. Top eight, top four, and finals. So you could definitely try to piece things together. Um, yeah, Arceus Gengar, definitely not a deck I think anyone would have uh, pegged as the one to win the tournament going into things. Uh, but yeah, congratulations to Drew. Drew's an excellent player, won Arizona Regionals back in 2016 with Greninja. And if you can win a Regionals with Greninjas, with Greninja, you are certainly a cracked player. So shout outs to <laughs> Drew. Drew's a, a good dude. He's a homie. And uh, yeah, I was super happy to see him win. There was still uh, definitely a lot of unique things in the list. Like you said, no path to the peak. Bibarel as the draw support, which we saw in the Gengar decks that were played in uh, Brisbane, but of course those were not playing Arceus. So uh, yeah, just the combination of Bibarel or Babarel plus um, having the uh, the Starbirth ability, right? You know, just gives you a lot of consistency to set up. Um, a few more unique cards. Uh, Collapsed Stadium was the stadium of choice, so no path to peak, but did play the Collapsed Stadium. And I actually saw Drew make some really cool plays with this card. You know, 
retreating a Gengar that had like 270, 280 damage on it, and then just dropping the collapsed stadium and discarding that three prize liability from play. Lots of cool things you can do with that, especially, you know, whenever you're a really good, intelligent player and can set things up like that when you know your opponent isn't going to be able to hit for one hit KOs. Also had a couple of copies of Hyper Potion in the deck, uh, which is, I think, a card that people have kind of whispered about here and there with double turbo energy coming out. You know, you can effectively just attach Hyper Potion away the double turbo energy, heal 120 damage. And that was the exact play we saw from Drew, actually, I think in the top four match where, uh, you know, his Gengar got hit for like 140 damage. There's three darkness energies on it. Of course, GMAX Swallow Up requires three darkness energies, but the deck still has four double turbos in it because you play Arceus, uh, but once Arceus has gone down, the double turbos are useless, right? No, not with Hyper Potion. You just slap it on there, drop the Hyper Potion, boom, heal all the damage. And then the other unique card uh, is definitely the Tool Scrapper, trying to target and get rid of some of those big charms, I imagine. That yep. was definitely the popular thing on, on Arceus. Yeah, got rid of the big charms. Yeah, the Hyper Potions uh, were super sick. Yeah, and, then, and even though it's not past the peak... The uh, Collapse Stadium, super good against me. You still limiting yeah, them to five. And then removing your liabilities from play. Like you said, you can heal something or you can just remove a two-prizer. Uh, I don't know if, I'm pretty sure Drew played a Luminian or a Crobat or if you just kind of have an so, Arceus yeah. or a Gengar V just kind of hanging out on the bench. You can't quite evolve him in time. Um, and all these cards are very good in closed deck list as well. Like that's like, I think a huge advantage of the stuff like the Hyper Potion and the Collapse Stadium. So yeah, it was, yeah. Like you said, congrats to Drew. Great dude. Love to see him win. Uh, Arceus Gengar, yeah, definitely not. Wouldn't, wouldn't have been my pick to win the tournament. I wouldn't have, I wasn't good. I wasn't going to be surprised if Gengar won, though. So I'm not surprised Gengar won, uh, but Arceus Gengar definitely feels like a deck that wasn't on too many people's radars um, for sure. And then, of course, we got Finn getting second with the Suicune, another deck that probably not many people picked to do great, um, unless you're kind of one of those. Uh, you know, Suicune fanatics. It definitely sounds like Finn was. I think he played over 500 games. Yeah, I saw with that. Suicune leading into the event. Uh, and another, once again, a list that I think uh, really took advantage of just being kind of closed deck list. Like I think a lot of people knew some of these counts, probably would have had some closer games, but it seems like a very refined list and tuned to just kind of uh, trying to just gain that tempo and what seems to be the way Pokemon is currently played and then maintain the tempo for, for every single turn from there on out. Yeah, so Suicune V, really solid two energy basic attacker blizzard rondo uh deals really consistent solid damage 20 damage plus 20 more for each benched pokemon on each side of the field yours and your opponents so when you're playing against a deck like that we actually saw this in top eight uh finn's top eight match on stream which was versus xander perot xander was really trying to limit the bench right play around putting too many guys in play so that it would boost finn's damage output but whenever you're doing that you're making your deck worse because your deck is reliant on using the Intellian engine to draw through the deck and, and get set up. And then, you know, if you're a deck like Mew, you're just going to have to have a full bench of five Pokemon if you want to be drawing any cards. So, uh, yeah, Suicune seemed like a super solid play. Uh, we talked about this on stream a bit, a deck that was really popular in the Evolving Skies format. They really kind of fell off through the Fusion Strike format. You know, Jolteon got a lot more popular as Jolteon got more popular Suicune kind of fell off and it always was a deck that would pop up every now and again over the last three or four months but maybe would win like one or two online tournaments but would never be super heavily played 
Uh, but yeah, it, Finn definitely went with a list that he felt comfortable with, something that he had tested a bunch. And I think the testing definitely shines through in the, uh, you know, the cleanness of the list, you know, how consistent and straightforward it is. Um, but there were definitely some surprises in there, I feel like. Four Melanie and one Raihan being the uh, only supporter cards. No Professor's Research and no Marnie. Yeah, and even then, I think the, no the big one... as well, right? Yeah, the big one that I would say is no boss. So no Marnie, no Research isn't like a a super new thing a lot of people usually stuck with that one marnie yeah um, i saw that a lot some yeah, people yeah. would go to the zero uh the four melanie i think is actually something i've never seen but i like the the idea of the consistency of it i i talked to hunter a little bit um throughout the weekend who also played the list um and he just they, he says he just said they like the option of or the potential for that turn one hit with the Suicune, especially going second against the Mew VMAX. Like, that's a huge swing in tempo, especially if you buy, if you're not by accident, but if you unfortunately open the Suicune, it's just kind of hanging out there. Uh, and if you can get a huge turn one knockout with it, that really can set you super far ahead in, in any matchup, but specifically the Mew matchup. So the max out on the Melian there to help with that. And then, yeah, no boss, but they do have the double, the, the quad cross switcher. Yeah. Um, and when, you know, everything's getting knocked out every single turn, you've got to play Melanie or you got to play the Raihan. You don't really have time to play boss. It's a nice hard to have in the deck for when your opponent whiffs then you can get really far ahead or just close out a game but um it seems like like finn played the deck a lot really refined down to the point where it's like that doesn't happen enough and i want to be able to win uh when that doesn't happen if it's not happening and i'm winning then even when that does happen i'm still winning right um so that's what it looks like the list was basically uh built around for sure and then no quick shooting teleon um that's a big one i think that a lot of people were probably playing around against finn and expected it to have happen and then it just didn't happen and that that's have the closed deck list right um and then then the, the horn the belt the the cape one of each of those it's always hard to call those counts and sweeping so once again once again it looks like a really refined list because there's only one of each of them so finn knows all the situations where you need it and how much you need of them the answer is one and then your opponent's always playing around the next one probably for most of those cards yeah the echoing horn was definitely the most interesting of these tech options we saw finn utilize it super well because it effectively becomes two plus powers right you throw a pokemon yeah. onto the bench you're now dealing 20 more damage uh, potentially for the rest of the game. So super strong. Um, and we saw... Uh, the, what I love about this deck is just how many different combos are potentially available. How many different things you can do with every single turn. You can you know try to cross-switcher down things on the bench. You can push for really big Ludicolo plays with Enthusiastic Dance boosting your damage. Even if your opponent has limited your bench... Uh, you can potentially do double Ludicola, right? Because they do stack. So there's a lot of different things that you can make happen. The one cape and the one belt, we saw both be super clutch in their respective situations, right? Giving the Suicune 260 hit points means that Arceus isn't able to one-hit KO it. So your opponent now has to boss's orders around that Pokemon. And if they're boss's orders, then now you have a Suicune with two energies on it still. And the yep. belt is super key. Uh, it's also, you know, just a damage modifier, damage booster. You know, belt plus horn effectively is going to boost your damage quite a bit by 50, right? And uh, help you just reach numbers on big Pokemon like uh, Arceus Diago, or not Arceus Diago Palkia, Arceus V-Star. Yeah. And that's like another thing is like, you know, none of the Arceus players were playing Toolscriber besides, uh, besides Drew. <laughs> but, you know... 90% of the, the Arceus players are not playing Tool Scrapper, so you know your one cape is going to go the distance. Um, that's why you don't need a second one, because like that's all the time you need is that one cape, and then that gets you ahead in the prize exchange, or lets you set up for those bigger Ludicolo plays, um, and allows you to just kind of take it off. Definitely, uh, I think, my favorite list 
coming out of of the of the top eight or maybe the tournament in general but of course it's hard to see all the decks um they're not all showcased as well as the top eight decks but from what i've seen finn's list is uh great love seeing it it was super cool super cool to see a list get that refined i'm really excited um, to hop in and like play some games with that deck for sure <laughs> yeah definitely so uh, the next couple of decks in top eight, there's actually several lists that were same 60s, right? So we had Zach Cooper and Gabe Smart, who played the same 60 for Gengar VMAX. Kind of I think the they were one card. One, one card, card different. Okay. I don't, I, one, one had three ultra ball, one had four ultra ball, but I don't know okay. what the other card was, I think. Got it. So 59, same card. Same, yeah. you know, effectively same deck, right? Uh, Zach Cooper getting yeah. top four. Gabe Smart getting top eight. With the Gengar VMAX, combined with Houndoom, no Arceus, so more straightforward to the standard list of what we saw from the two top 16 lists in Brisbane. But where these actually differed is that the Brisbane lists played Bibarel, but Zach and Gabe decided Bibarel was not worth it. Yeah, and I think I agree with it. The couple games I put in with Bibarel leading into the event, it was it's just like another... You already have to set up the Houndooms. You got to set up the VMAX. You have to do it fast. Um, Gengar's one of those decks where I feel like you don't have time to fall behind against like anything. Whereas like Arceus versus Arceus, depending on what else you got, you could fall behind. Arceus against Mew, you could even fall behind. Mew can fall behind against Arceus. But I feel like Gengar can't afford to fall behind against anything. You have to be the one who kind of sets the tone for the game. Unless you have the kind of stuff that like Drew had where you got the healing, you got the Clap Stadium to make other weird plays. So yeah, I like the I like the no B barrel. I think that's that's probably just the correct way to play the deck for sure. It just like adds a little another level of clunk. And when you get it and it flows, it's great but it's not going to happen often enough. Uh, and then the other cool addition to the deck that they, uh, an addition, not a takeaway, is the, the Tool Jammer, uh, which is basically just a better a better choice belt depending on what's in the meta because you basically reduce the HP from Big Charm or that Big Charm would give to Arceus. And then it also makes it so that Mew can't get value out of their choice belt. So it's yes. harder for them to get that one hit KO play so they can't go like, one three two in their prize exchange where they go ko hound hour one at ko gengar ko crow by ko gengar v um so that can really slow down mew by just that little bit to give you the uh, give you the edge when it's a close one up against the mew so the tool jammer was super sick for sure yeah tool jammer definitely makes a lot more sense in this version of gengar and i do like the tool scrapper uh, a little bit more in drew's list because drew obviously wants to be using choice belts right to, to hit yeah, exactly for, for the 280 so you need the tool scrapper to be able to get rid of those tools because uh drew's list doesn't have single strike energies it's all basic darkness energies for uh to accelerate with arceus uh before yep. we move on i also do want to give a big shout out to gabe for making top eight uh because gabe is a player who had some solid finishes pre-pandemic uh but i think mostly got made a name for themselves through the pandemic through these online events so we we, we have an online warrior uh, who's made top eight and really made a name for themselves. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think Gabe has been playing for a long time, you know, outside of just, you know, playing online. But I would say definitely made a name for themselves uh, throughout the pandemic, winning some of these online events. Yeah, definitely. Gabe's been been grinding the online events. It was great to see him make that top eight uh, for sure, for sure. Um, and then the other duo or 59, 60, 59 mirror. I believe this one was or not mirror, yeah. Carson. This one was 59 for sure yes. in the, the top eight, one in top four, one in top eight as well was uh, Nicholas Moffat and Ian Robb. Uh, Nick with the top eight. Uh, Ian with the, oh no, Nick with the top four, Ian with the top eight. Yeah. Let me correct myself. And they had a really cool deck as well. Kind of a, 
uh, probably an, uh, it feels like an upgrade almost to what Peter Lowe brought to Brisbane, whether they kind of started with Peter Lowe's list or already were working on something similar before Brisbane happened. We don't know, but uh, uh, they basically added in kind of Zapdos fighting energy or the differences comparing Peter Lowe's list where they had the Zapdos fighting energy and they had the Cape of Toughness, which I thought was super cool. It protects your Arceus V a little bit more against like Mew specifically, I feel like is the main one. Uh, but then it makes that Zapdos a tank in the in the mirror match. Yeah, uh, Zapdos with a Cape of Toughness on it cannot be KO'd by an Arceus. So if you have a couple energies on it and they've got two Arceus in play, you are going to take a bunch of knockouts with Zapdos. They, they, <laughs> it is a huge threat that they cannot deal with <laughs> in uh, the way the lists were built coming into this event, at least. Now, some players, you know, had outs. Uh, you know, Zach and Gabe, you know, have the uh, Cape of Toughness, right? So their Fighting Week Gengars can... Or not the Cape of Toughness, sorry, the Tool Jammers, so that their Fighting Week Gengars can do with the Zapdos a little easier. Drew, you know, came prepped with a Tool Scrapper, so can also deal with the Zapdos a little easier. But if you were not able to deal with Zapdos, it was going to take four prizes. Oh, yeah, it was swinging. Yeah, especially if it got charged up from a hit with the Ar from an Arceus, uh, the Trinity Nova. So yeah. even if you have a Path to the Peak in play, it's still just swinging uh for for uh for a one hit ko i feel like this um, is so a I, deck that sorry uh you go ahead <laughs> sorry oh so I, was, I was gonna say I uh, we didn't see a lot of we didn't see a lot of dunsparce in arceus decks is what i was gonna say yeah. um, and that's something that i was actually if we if uh me and kayla played arceus to this event we were adamant about playing dunsparce because like there's gonna be either just like a re some really solid players playing some fighting shenanigans or we're just gonna run into that in general when i run into stuff that has just a Zapdos or this or that and like you don't want to just like let them be able to set the tempo every time because they played the matchup and they're like oh the, the Zapdos just giving the tempo or the Dawn fan or whatever fighting Pokemon they're going to play so I sure. think we'll see Dunsparce come back and with that maybe also Tool Scrapper into more of these Arceus and Teleon decks as well because it looks like it's it's pretty worth it after the after we've seen people kind of ab abuse the fact that there is no Tool Scrappers in some of these decks definitely and and i think that this deck was one that a lot of players thought about something similar to this right because you know, i mean if you look at the meta coming into the event you had the dark week mu v max and you had the fighting week arceus the fighting week gengar v max right those are the those are the decks that are in the format so if you can play fighting and dark in the same deck you know you're hitting for times two weakness on all these pokemon so you're giving yourself a good shot. Of course, he's playing the Galarian Moltres, you know, probably just one of the best single prize attackers in the meta right now, if not just the best single prize attacker, just because of how powerful it can really get in the late game. Fiery Wrath yep. dealing 50 damage more for each prize your opponent has taken. Um, only the 2-2 Arceus, and we, we watched Ian on stream. I think every single game we saw Ian on stream because we had him on uh, in day one and in day two. Uh, every single game we saw you know, stream, I think he started Arceus energy. And if you're, if you're running like that, right, it's, you're just going to be in a, a great spot to, you know, get things accelerated into play, you know, get some energies on that Zapdos and you know, it's going to be tough for anyone to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then, uh, the final, uh, list to top talk about that, uh, was in top eight was Xander Perot. Um, or I guess second to final because, <clears throat> We did have a bump up into top eight, but yeah, Xander Pro with the Arceus and Teleon. Uh, this is played by a lot of other, uh, you know, very notable players. Uh, Bradner, 30, uh, Bradner with top 32, and then Rahul and John both were in day two, maybe 64. Not sure about them. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, obviously a great group. Uh, I believe Sam Chen was also joining them. Uh, a great Sinsky player. As well. Yeah, and <clears throat> both great players who people probably don't know the names of because they haven't been playing as consistently recently. Um, but... Um, yeah, it was a pretty interesting list. They had some 
interesting cards in there as far as Arcus Intellion goes. Usually the deck has felt pretty vanilla. Uh, of course, Arcus Intellion definitely different from Arcus Intellion Moltres, but uh, they had the you know the B barrel as like a one one in there, some extra consistency. They had a Crobat in there as well, which you don't always see. So just trying to be really consistent alongside four Ultra Ball, which I was surprised by the most of the Ultra Ball count. Uh, the Sydney, which is a really cool tech card up against Mew. Look at your opponent's hand. You discard two tool cards, special energy cards, or stadiums. A combination of two if they have two of any of those things. So you get rid of two DTEs, two stadiums, a DTE and a stadium, a choice bell and a DTE. Um, so really cool at just kind of pressuring Mew's resources, which is like one of the ways that, or feels like one of the ways that most decks have to beat Mew, right? Yeah, especially um, you can combo the Sydney with a path to the peak. Like that's the combo, yeah. right? You you want to play path. Uh, you know, maybe if they didn't play a Rotom Phone that turn and they didn't pro uh, properly set up their top deck with a stadium, you can just get rid of the counter stadiums and you can almost uh, guarantee yourself that you're going to get a turn. It's almost like a little bit of a control deck, you know, not a control deck, but it has a little bit of a controlling aspect right in the in the game plan. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. And th maybe that is enough to stop Mew. The one thing I don't think, though, is I don't think this deck is enough to... It doesn't seem like a tournament-winning deck when we looked at what else came out from this weekend. And I think we'll see more things that are a little bit more unique be kind of the things that can push a little bit harder to win tournaments. I feel like Arceus Intellion is good, and now with this the idea of Sydney in there to help more against Mew, your Mew matchup will get better. Path plus Sydney seems like a really strong combo consistently against Mew. But it feels like there's a little bit more room in the format to be a little bit more creative, to have a little bit more stuff that's off the wall that'll give you an advantage against this deck and kind of the format in general. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it won a tournament, but it feels like a, a deck that I wouldn't want to ever... It doesn't feel like it's just like a tournament-winning deck. It's like a very good deck, very strong deck, but I feel like there's more room in the format to be a little bit more creative than what uh, Ar Arceus Intellion can bring consistently. And they also had the one of Galarian Zigzagoon, which I wanted to talk about a little bit because I think, uh, you know, the Goon's are kind of a, a good little tech in Arceus decks right now. It, uh, you know, with the scoop-up nets that you're probably already playing uh, potentially with your drizzle stuff right um you know you can get a bunch of extra damage in play in one turn you know zigzagoon plus double net plus quick shooting like that's a lot of damage added to the already powerful hit of trinity nova yeah no the goon is super cool i've been seeing it a lot in like and even like uh like the quick shooting italian decks with sableye like that goon adding mm. that goon in there as well but then the sableye hit a little bit harder a little bit faster um yeah just that little bit of extra damage, which seems weird to just include when you already have quick shooting but it's like the game is so tempo based right now where you got you can't fall behind unless your opponent falls behind that's where you're allowed to be like okay i'll take the i'll fall behind here we um, saw set up some... make some like super cool plays in his first stream game where i think he like hit a genesect for 180 uh against Mew, and then like you know it's unless the guy puts a fusion strike energy on it you can just pick, goon ping that at any point in the game to take yeah. two prizes which is really cool yeah, so, yeah there's a ton of ton of cool plays to make with it for sure and then one more player in top eight, the player who made eighth thanks to the disqualification and was unfortunately unable to play actually in the top eight was Andre Chiasson, Ch Chison, Chison. Really sorry for butchering that one. Made top eight <laughs> with Jolteon VMAX. So we talked about Jolteon a little bit last week uh, leading into this event and thought like, you know, this could be a decent time to potentially play the deck, right? There's no Manaphy's running around in any of like the Arceus lists or anything like that. A lot of the Arceus lists that did really well played very few, if any, Sharon's Cares. Uh, you know, so like I don't think Drew even had any Sharon's Care in the deck, so... Um, you know, if there's no Sharon's Care, you're going to probably be in a decent spot to you just keep spreading your damage out. Uh, yeah, so thoughts on the Jolteon deck, um, who wasn't able to play and cut, unfortunately. 
Yeah, I think it's Jolteon's like one of those decks right now where it can kind of beat everything, but also lose to uh, a lot. <clears throat> I think it was a pretty good... Or can lose to anything as well. I think it was a pretty good in this meta. It just ended up being pretty good for it. Um, of course, there is always kind of the risk of just hitting random fighting stuff. You can kind of handle the Zapdos pretty well as Jolteon for sure, but any other fighting kind of stuff that shows up, like uh, Urshifu's or the, like the Dawn fan that we saw a little bit of going into Sandaconda. the end of last week and Sandaconda, <laughs> like any of that kind of stuff that kind of that kind of is tough for Jolteon. Um, and that might be scary moving forwards, but um, yeah, really no surprises you do too well. And there was actually a couple of them. There's another player who was playing Jolteon as well, um, who, who, was, who was, you know, a couple games away from getting top eight. Um, and Andre here, Initially was ninth, got pushed into top eight because of the DT DQ. Unfortunately, couldn't play it out. But yeah, I mean, Jolteon, it's, if no one's playing mana for you, you can kind of beat everything. And yeah, the, the like you said, the Arceus decks were kind of lacking on the Sharon's care. Everyone had like one Sharon's care and a Palpad for the most part, I think. From uh, And then, of course, you had like That's Ian, Ian and Nick's deck. Yeah, and Ian and Nick basically played no Sharon's care. So uh, that matchup sounded like it would have been pretty good. So yeah, a lot of the Arceus decks, I don't think... Uh, really out healed the the jolteon deck at all because the jolteon deck uh was playing double double cheryl right so you know you always got to wonder what could have been if uh, jolteon was allowed <laughs> to play in top cut we could be talking about a different regional champion potentially but you know congratulations to andre uh, and jolteon was definitely a deck that had a solid conversion rate right it wasn't super yeah. widely played uh because i think it's not a super popular deck in the meta right now but a lot of the players who played like walking around in round 13 uh, in round 12, look, look, looking at the top, you know, 10 to 12 tables in day two, there was like three to four players playing Jolteon. Yeah, there was like, I only know of two players. It was Andre and uh, uh, Averin in, in day two. Those were only two Jolteon players I knew about in the tournament. So, and I guess the only, I only knew about two uh, Suicune players as well in, in Hunter and Finn. Um, but they had a bigger group who I think was playing the deck. But yeah, I mean, those two decks, definitely Jolteon had a ridiculous conversion rate, um, especially just like, I guess, placements in general, because both of them did well in day two as well. Um, and who knows how many there were in day one, same thing as speaking. But those two decks for sure, I think, had like maybe the best results overall uh, in how many of the decks were played uh, with the Jolteon and the Suicune decks there. Yeah, one more Jolteon in top 32. So Varin and Brian Canales made top 32. Oh, there was three. The there was three. So there's three three in the top 32, or two in top 32, one in top eight, right? Um, That's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> Very unexpected. Maybe it doesn't feel that unex unexpected to... Uh, maybe not, though. When you think about it, no one's, no one's playing it. Like, all the decks kind of lined up to not be that great against Jolteon. It was just kind of like Jolteon could beat anything, it felt like. it. At first, it was kind of feeling like the Arceus decks were going to where it would be like pretty tough. There's like... Two Charon's Cares, Pal Pad, like that was feel, that that was looking rough. But going into the event, it looks like everyone kind of cut back on the Charon's Cares a little bit. So just a couple more decks to wrap up the Salt Lake City Regionals. A few more things we definitely want to talk about. Uh, two players making top 16 with Rapid Strike Malamar playing different lists. So we had Gabe Shumway playing the Intellian version of the deck, which it felt like has definitely been the one that has been more favored uh, from players, right? Players are choosing to go that route as opposed to Chinchino, but it turns out Chinchino is still pretty good. Uh, Nathan Kaplan played that uh, to a top 16 finish as well. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that list or not yet, but he played a two battle VIP pass. Yeah, I mean, I don't hate the two battle VIP pass because like the idea is you're just trying to set up you're trying to get a lot it's of Pokemon to play turn one. cards that let you set up on yeah. turn one. I yeah, exactly, yeah. right? So you just, you're just trying to hit a, a number, right? You're trying to hit a percentage of your first turn providing you with four to five basic Pokemon. So if two is it, then two is it. And I think that's basically what he said in his tweet. I saw his tweet. Um, it was actually, I was I was surprised to see Gabe be playing the Inteleon build because Gabe's been tearing it up online with the Sincino build. Mm -hmm. um, so when I saw Gabe's name there with Malmar, I was like, oh, two Sincinos in top. 
uh, 16. That was a surprise to me. And then I clicked on the list and it was Intellion. I was like, wait, what? He's been playing Zencino this whole time. <laughs> Makes it switch over. But I actually like the Intellion build myself. And I think even uh, Nathaniel tweeted that they think that the, the Intellion build is yeah. the better build, but they were more comfortable with the Zencino build. And that's why they went with that one. So um, just a good player. Maybe playing the subpar build of Malamar even thinks the Italian build is better, but maybe since you know could be it for sure though. You get more aggressive draw power, which uh, is never really a bad thing, I guess. But uh, yeah, Rapshack Malamar, like I said at the in the last episode, I thought yep. it was a pretty good deck. It was like my number three deck uh, <laughs> overall. It looks like maybe Gengar is a little bit better overall than it, but so maybe the number four deck now, but still pretty good. Uh, and well, yeah, still, Jolteon no is reason... popping back up though. Like I think that Malamar's stonks go way down but i guess that is a deck you can kind of you can throw the manaphy in pretty easily right i don't think it solves it for malamar because jaltian can kind of just not attack not give you ambition and then slowly set up their quick shootings and just knock out the manaphy manaphy before anything happens so i don't know if that quite solves the matchup for malamar but you could recover it we could see but yeah maybe a man it's just a manaphy away from being able to stick it uh stick around against the jaltians so if last few decks we want to talk about are all Arceus decks, and I don't think that's really to anybody's surprise. Uh, I've seen we've seen some jokes going around online about you know you just take any random Vmax, throw it with Arceus, and you you know you got a decent deck, and that seems like it was kind of the case <laughs> in Salt Lake City, uh, where players paired Arceus V Star with Sandaconda Vmax. Malamar VMAX and even Gyarados VMAX, Nick Robinson, the 2016 U.S. national champion, the reigning U.S. national champion, uh, played that. And then also in, uh, there was a couple players who were on an Urshifu VMAX, Moltres Arceus V-Star deck. So lots of different ways people were utilizing Arceus uh, this weekend. Yeah, a bunch of shenanigans in there. Uh, Santa Cana is definitely the funniest one. The Gyarados uh, is the most interesting one. It was really cool because he had the, the memory capsule in there or whatever. To, so you could use the Outrage on the uh, Gyarados V. Uh, and Urshifu was just... Uh, that was like the... Uh, that was that was kind of my favorite of them, I think. It was kind of like a way to be like, okay, instead of doing the Zapdos V um, and KO other uh, Arceus that way... Because uh, everyone's playing Path of the Peak, we want to not play Path of the Peak ourselves. What if we just played Urshifu? And we still just want to KO them. Urshifu is just a great attacker. I mean, G Max Rapid Flow, it could be good against literally anything. So it's just yep. it's just a great tool to have in a card, especially when so many of the top decks are running their main Pokemon is just weak to fighting. And sometimes they're only Pokemon in their deck. If you're looking at like some of the Arceus decks, is the only thing they have is really Arceus as a good attacker. You just have Urshifu to to match up against it. So a lot of cool, a lot of cool uh uh partners for the Arceus there G-Max, for sure G-Max rapid flow with a choice belt you're doing 300 to a fighting week active that's uh and then 120 to a bench that's yeah. like a, <laughs> kind of feeling like tag bolt territory right there almost right uh yeah definitely I, I thought the the Urshifu deck was really cool uh, I'm not sure which one I like better as far as like which fighting type V-Max Urshifu gives you a little bit more versatility because you have the G-Max rapid flow uh but you know, the deck doesn't really support, like, the super heavy switching that you need to Gale Thrust back-to-back-to-back turns, right? You've yeah. got a couple switches in there, but, uh, you know, if you've already used your Starbirth, you're less likely to be able to get all those things. Uh, Santa Conda VMAX, however, uh, needs a lot less, right? You can just set up this 330 HP Pokemon. It hits for 180 damage, one-hit KOs anything that's weak to fighting, and it's not going to go down super easily. Yeah, yeah, definitely. A little bit less fragile, a little bit less utility up against other matchups, though, right? Yeah, so that's yeah. really... They which both definitely have favor? their... Uh, yeah, which one do you favor for sure? Um, so that that's all the decks from uh, from the day two. Uh, and then moving on, 
Up next, we got the guess that flavor text. This time for Chip to guess, I oh picked the Pokemon and the flavor text. Now Chip has to guess which Pokemon this belongs to. Uh, the amount of electrical energy this Pokemon produces is proportional to the rate of its pulse. The voltage jumps while blank is battling. While blank is battling. So blank is the name of the Pokemon. You had to yeah. get rid of that. Okay. So my thought process here a little bit is, you know, obviously it sounds like an electric Pokemon, a lightning type Pokemon. Um, but I also feel like you could be trying to throw me for a little bit of a loop because I feel like Volbeat and Illumise's Pokedex entries are similar to this because they're kind of like have a little electricity going on. Um, so I don't know if you're going that deep trying to fake me out just yet, or if it is just as simple as this is probably an electric type Pokemon. <laughs> uh, so the amount of electrical energy this Pokemon produces is proportional to the rate of its pulse. Pulse could also make you think of something like Plusle or Minin, right? You know, little rats with the, you know, you know. The electricity happening. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna kind of stink stick with my instincts. I'm gonna go with a. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, Volbeat. No, it is maybe the most basic. Not basic. It's close though. It's is Electivire. It just like Pikachu. Electivire. It's Electivire. Okay. Yeah, with the, like most one of the most basic lightning Pokemon, the OGs. I'm pretty sure. Wait, Electivire. Electivire is from Gen oh, 4. Oh no no bro. no! Never mind. Never mind. I for, I, for a second, I thought it was the um, Electabuzz. It was the basic. No, it is Electivire. I, I thought it was Electabuzz in my head. Okay. I thought I remembered. Uh, I know Elicate. I was like, it's Elicate, and then it becomes Electivire. Okay, that's right. Right? No, yeah, I forgot about Electabuzz. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Okay. Well, unfortunate. I uh, it probably just psyched myself out there thinking through it too much. I'm pretty sure Volbeat <laughs> or Illumise, they've got some stuff going on with electricity. So, I mean, I think I was kind of, I don't know. Do I, they? Thought, I thought they? one layer too too deep. Yeah, they definitely. I think do. yeah. Okay. I don't know. Maybe it's just in the name. <laughs> <laughs> no, they definitely do. I swear. I swear. Okay. So moving on from everyone's favorite segment onto, you know, the boring stuff, uh, you know, talking about, you know, the competitive side of the Pokemon TCG, right? Uh, we'll talk about Liverpool. So Liverpool Regionals is coming up this weekend. It's going to be a much smaller tournament than Salt Lake City was. I believe, I don't know what the cap, do you know what the cap is for the event? I know mm. that it's sold out within like three minutes of going live. Yeah, I mean, it can't be very high because it's all like three minutes. And the second time it sold out just as fast. I guess the second time everyone knew about the cap happening, maybe it almost feels like everyone knew about the cap happening the first time because like maybe it's just really small. Maybe it's only like a hundred. No, it's got to be like, it's no, got to be no, like no a shot, decent right? amount. I say maybe a hundred people, but it's it's definitely wasn't open very long because you know all of, you know, and it, it seemed like there's going to be a decent amount of, uh, you know, notable players are, are not going to be there. Um, I think if I, I might not be I might not be correct on that, but I, I think there might be a decent amount of little players who did not uh, were not able to make the registration. Uh, we'll have to wait and see who actually is able to show up and play. Definitely uh, plenty of I'll, people who missed out who who would want yeah. to be playing for sure. So it feels like it ha it's like how big are the regionals normally? Because it feels like it has to be like maybe 100 or 200 people smaller than that because yeah. of how fast it just kind of went. And how many people like that I saw on Twitter who just didn't make it after the second uh second registration opened it sounds like it won't be the problem for their next regional i heard it was like 900 tcg players uh would be able to play in the next regional so it sounds like their next regionals will be a lot bigger and i assume uh frankfurt will also hopefully not have this issue as well uh, but it definitely uh definitely feel for the the players over in europe with their first regional not being able potentially not for some of the people who are not potentially not able to attend um it's definitely rough definitely rough so they're having so much fun this weekend the last regionals in 
Europe was in Malmo in Sweden uh, right before the pandemic uh, in March of 2020. And it had 298 players. So just at right at that 300 ish mark. And that was the, I've, I've wanted to say, I thought it was like around that three to 400 ish. So maybe it's going to be like three, maybe there, there's just been that much of a growth in the game where people are just as excited to get back. And, you know, Liverpool's a lot easier to get to yeah. for Europeans than Salt Lake city is for Americans. Right. So like, uh, you know, for us, I think if our first regionals had been in like St. Louis or somewhere a little bit more centrally located in the country, Indiana. we would have had a thousand players easily, right? Yeah, I think um, Indiana will be the uh, the biggest region of the year. Will be Indiana, I think for sure. Definitely. So I think that has certainly a factor to it, right? So uh, you, you you had a bunch of American players who actively chose not to go just because of how expensive it was to get to Salt Lake City, even though I'm sure they would have loved to have been able to go to a Pokemon event. But that's not really an issue for the Europeans getting to Liverpool because it's pretty you know easy to get to. Yeah, my guess is going to be. I'm going to make a guess that I think it'll. It's going to be 200 ma- 200 players, 200 masters players. That would be crazy uh, if it's so that small. That's my guess. I, well, it doesn't feel that small for Europe though. But I think there would have been maybe up to like 400. I don't know what their biggest regional ever has been over there. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and just make a guess. And I don't know if the, I don't know if the info is already out there. I'm just going to guess 200 is the the masters TCG cap. So I'm looking at some of the other events from the 2020 season. They had 348 at the special event in Paris. Regionals in Cologne. And Germany had 726. That was the first oh, regionals man. of the year. Uh, or no, sorry. They had regionals in Sheffield, which had uh, 572. So, you know, three to 500-ish is probably about average. You know, they had the really, really big one, uh, it looks like, in uh, Cologne. But, yeah. It just I feels like a feel we'll, we'll, we'll just have to see how it uh, kind of breaks yeah. down. I move my. I'm gonna move my guess at 300 cap then. Okay. <laughs> yeah. If, if, I didn't know they were getting that big over in there. I never. I haven't really looked at the number. I know they were generally smaller than the American numbers, uh, but that's actually pretty close. Um, they also don't have as many regionals, so a lot more people try and go out to um, the regionals when they can. And also, like it's. I feel like people travel less to more regionals because their invite, their their, their how many points they need to get their invite is less. So you, I feel like more people go don't go to you know the two or three regionals that some people do in America. Usually, see people going to you know maybe one, maybe two. Right. So, um, but yeah, I guess we'll, we'll end up seeing my, I'm making my guess 300 then 300 masters is, was the was the cap. So what is the effect of Salt Lake city going to be on Liverpool? Like obviously it'll play an impact. Brisbane played a huge role in how players prepped and, uh, tested for Salt Lake. What now from the new results, you know, with zero mu decks making top eight, how does that impact what players are going to want to try to do in Liverpool? Um, I mean, I think I don't think anyone thinks Mew is bad or it can't be played in the meta. Sure. I think I think if you ask anyone, they're going to tell you Mew's the best deck in the format still. Um, I still don't think it's close, um, especially when you have to go so far to your way to beat it. Um, but as long as everyone's doing that, it kind of creates a cool little meta like we saw it's all like at the top half at the end where it's like all those decks are just cool and interesting to match up weirdly against each other. And now that's what you have to look to try and beat is like how many of these decks that are new archetypes or new ideas of how to play decks in certain matchups, how many of these decks are you trying to beat, right? Like, are you trying to go up against the other Arceus builds and add more Charon's Care to your build? Are you adding the Sydney now to what you're playing to have a better Mew matchup? How much are you going to try and deal with Gengar, right? So I think Mew is established as like, you have to beat that. And now it's like, okay, what else are you definitely trying to beat alongside that? How many of these other decks, you know, are you trying to include into that list of things you have to beat for the tournament? So do you think there's ever a world where it is now acceptable to play a deck that would have a shaky Mew matchup? 
you know, Not with all the dark decks and the <laughs> counter things being so popular in Salt Lake? I think if you're, I don't think you can afford, like, I was, I was almost going to say, I think you could, because I think if you, like, maybe if it works out the way Salt Lake City, that if you just get to that top half in day two, you'll be safe from Mew. But to get there, I feel like is such a gamble. I think someone could get lucky. I think you could get really lucky. Um, like, I only played against two Mew in nine rounds day one. If I had made it to day two with, like, you know, an eight one record or something, I could possibly have only played maybe one more Mew the rest of the tournament, right? So if you get really lucky in day one, you could. It's a big gamble, but I would say if you're just trying to be consistent about it, no, you can't You can't take a bad Mew matchup. It has to be 50-50 at the worst. I saw Michael Slutsky posting that uh, he played versus zero Mews in day one in nine rounds. Hit zero <laughs> Mew VMAX decks, which is probably the greatest accomplishment of anyone in the, over the course of the weekend, <laughs> potentially, because uh, it was definitely all over the place. So, I mean, yeah, it's definitely interesting, but I also like very much could just see the top European players. Like I could very much see like Robin and Philip and uh, Pedro, you know, all those guys, Stefan, whoever I can see them all rolling up with Mew potentially. And just like, you know, a really good consistent Mew list and all of them make top eight. Right. Yeah. And I actually would be, I'd be really interested. I think it'd be really interesting to see them do that. Can, can they show that, you know, when the good players bring Mew, it just still will dominate the tournament. Cause that's basically what we saw in Brisbane, right? right. The good players showed up with Mew. They dominated in Salt Lake city. The good players, we had a couple great players playing Caleb, got 10th place yep, you know yep. with Mew uh, he was only a win off and he and you know I you know test with Caleb all the time so we talked I talked to him after literally every round he's like all the matchups he lost to like those anti-Mew decks he's like they're all really close like it's still just like a 50 50 basically and it came down to you know um you know little things at the end of it all so um and I'd like to see what they're they're what they could come up with different about Mew maybe as well like do they have that like, because I know I listened to a lot of the meta discussions going into Salt Lake um there's a couple of the European players on there and it sounds like they have a different idea um, and they're not huge fans of the Brisbane list, um, or they think it was like okay for the meta that uh, was at Brisbane, but they're not huge fans of it anymore, or weren't huge fans of it to begin with. So, you know, if they got like that next level Mew list for the meta now, that'd be very cool, very interesting to see. Uh, but yeah, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if they all just rolled up with it, or other great players in Europe as well. Yeah, there's a uh, lot just of really up with great Mew players just in like, Europe for sure. Yeah, they're just like, all right, I mean, they have all these other these cool decks, but like those are 50-50. Oh cool list i wanted to mention this uh cool list actually i saw before it's from a japanese player who won a limitless tournament they had zapdos v in their mew list mm-hmm. um so they were they were trying to do something spicy with that there like, who knows what else is out there for Mew, right there's a lot of depth to that deck um so there could be something to even be countering the the arceus and the gengars a little bit further so how do players account for gengar now in their counter meta strategies most of the fighting type pokemon that you could play like if you wanted to try to play like a rapid strike urshifu deck you know it's weak to psychic you're just going to take a terrible matchup to mew and you know we just talked about how that's like a really risky thing to try and do so in what ways can people account for gengar is it just like adding the zapdos cape of toughness combo um so i mean i personally like i would not play gengar if i was to go to liverpool i would be scared to play gengar because i think it has a very it, it just gets collateraled because Arceus is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think now that Gengar is like very much established as like maybe the just best deck against Arceus and Mew, it's like, okay, well, if I can just beat those two, uh, or it's the yeah, if I can just beat, you know, Gengar and Mew, I'm in a pretty good spot, you know, as long as I can beat Arceus as well. But usually, if you're like hard beating Gengar with something fighting, you have a good matchup against Arceus, anyways. But I feel like 
Gengar gets so much harder, hit so much harder by by fighting Pokemon than Arceus does. I feel like you got the Dunsparce, and you just have more stuff you can kind of do with uh, like a straightforward Arceus deck or a more straightforward Arceus deck. But even taking something like Drew's list or the more straightforward Gengar's list, those get hit way harder by someone just having a Zapdos V, right? And I think we'll see a lot more. Now that people kind of know what they can play into, I think Gengar is going to be one of the main targets. It's going to be like enemy number one, Mew, enemy number two. Uh, I almost don't want, I almost want to say Gengar is the enemy number two before Arceus. I think Arceus, a lot of decks okay. can, yeah, because a lot of decks can just kind of just match up into Arceus and just kind of go blow for blow a lot of the time. So that's kind of something you can kind of beat. I feel like Gengar is something you want to be beating now for sure. Like, and that's why, and it's so much easier to kind of figure out what to do against the Gengar that um, I, I personally would not be a huge fan of trying to, of playing Gengar going into this next weekend. Well, the thing about Gengar and Arceus is they share a weakness, right? So it's like almost, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like you said, you get collateraled a little bit. So, but like also prepping, you know, it's like prepping for two of the best decks with one, whatever your combo is that you prep with, right? Um, one thing I do want to say is I think there is like a 0% chance that zero Mew make top eight, right? Like it's not, there's no <laughs> shot that that's going to happen again, right? If if the limitless group, if they roll up with something that beats Mew, I would not be that surprised. Because okay. I think I think besides just them, like I know we everyone brings them up a lot, and I don't want to mean to disrespect the other European players. Because I think I think that the European players get a little bit tired of people bringing up the limitless group all the time. But there's a lot of other great players in Europe as well. Um, and if they choose to not play Mew as well, I would not be surprised if Mew just doesn't make top eight again, to be honest. I think we could see a repeat of Salt Lake. However, if like 50% of them just pick up Mew or, you know, a couple players who we never maybe heard of from Europe who are very good, you know, they decide, you know, I'm playing Mew today and they just run well, they play well. Um, it would definitely, good chance we see a Mew in Top Cup. But I wouldn't be that surprised if we don't, to be honest, after kind of the way Salt Lake went. But looking at why it went the way it did, I think it's the biggest thing. Everyone was trying to beat Mew. And we just saw a lot of the talent choose to not play Mew. I would not be that surprised if it, if it happened again. But it would have to kind of be a replicate of the kind of same scenario for sure, I think. Okay, so now we're going to share our top two picks for Liverpool Regionals. Neither is or I are going. You know, we're both going to be sitting over here in America. I don't know that there's – I don't know anything about a stream. I, I don't – yeah, I, I don't know anything about it. So I don't think there will be one. So unfortunately, I don't know that we can – watch at home but you know uh, i'm gonna be excited to see what the results look like um so yeah we're gonna pick our if we were going what are the two decks that we would be considering playing for the tournament for me i think one of the top ones would be uh nick moffat and ian robs uh you know zapdos galarian moltres intellian deck arceus you know that deck i feel like has a really high outplay factor you know and like a lot of different you just have so many different paths you can take through a game galarian moltres like i talked about earlier one of the best attackers so that would be a really high choice for me and then also probably just some other arceus deck that was a lot heavier into arceus um you know whether it be the quad arceus deck that you know we talked about a little bit last week or some other variants you know playing some other v max or other v star or whatever it may be um or just maybe just like with intellion and then like some techs and stuff like the the dunsparce and the the zigzagoons and all those things um i think that those are kind of the paths that i would be choosing if i was going to the event yeah i was gonna say uh i was gonna say their deck as well but i feel like arceus x because of the way i'm thinking about gengar they almost have to include dunsparce now so i feel like that takes away I feel like their their deck was very heavily be playing, If you're playing Arceus, play Dunsparce this weekend, 100%. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> People are coming for Gengar, and Arceus is definitely like, a now I think it's definitely established itself as being a competitor. We went to Brisbane, it didn't have the greatest of showing, it wasn't terrible, um, but now everyone's like, okay, yeah, Arceus, I think everyone sees the Arceus in a, in a new light, and I think 
Gengar now is the, the, almost the bigger reason to play Dunsparce in Arceus is because like people are going to come for Gengar. And that's why uh, Nick and Ian's deck, I'm a little bit less less hype on. I really like the deck overall, uh, but I'm a little bit less hype on it because because I think there's I think a lot of their, the, sh- the power of that deck up against the other Arceus decks was no one played Dunsparce, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I still love the Malamar. So if I'm not picking a MUV Max deck, which I think is what we're doing here. Uh, <laughs> right, right, right. I'm yeah. picking Malamar. I think it's assumed like if we did a top yeah. three, we're both going to have MUV Max in that top three, right? <laughs> Yeah, so I'm picking Malamar for sure. Uh, should it be Cincino? Okay, so, should it yeah. be Inteleon? Sounds like Inteleon is is going to be the way to go. Uh, probably don't need to include the Manaphy. I don't think Jolteon will be able to survive the extra fighting Pokemon in the format when people are just like, okay, I just want to make sure I beat Gengar, get a little bit more edge against the Arceus. Um, uh, then it's tough, to be honest. I don't even know. What, maybe the Suicune then. Maybe the I even because even, like everyone knows what Suicune does, so I feel like people were playing pretty efficiently against Finn, and Finn still got all the way to second place. So I think people now know, seeing the list... Maybe is this the optimal Suicune list? Maybe there's a little bit more depth to it. Even now seeing it, can you still outplay the list to the point where um, where you're beating it consistently? So I'm, I'm going to go with the Suicune list uh, from Finn, or maybe you should switch it up a little bit, and then and then Inteleon Malamar. And I think that's it for this week, Chip. So uh, unless you got something else to say, anything else you want to talk about, let's, uh, let's close it out. Yeah, I just want to say big thanks to everyone for listening in, showing support. Like we said at the top of the show, so much support shown, you know, almost at 500 subs already on the YouTube, well over a thousand listens on YouTube on the first podcast and a bunch of listens as well through the other podcasting platforms. So thank you guys so much for the support. You know, uh, I think Azul and I also always get like a decent amount of people you know, coming up and chatting with us. Uh, you want to meet us at regional championships, something that was, uh, you know, people, I had people come up and say like, thanks for your content. You know, I love your commentary. I had a lot of people come up to me and say, Hey, I love the podcast, and that was yeah. what it was about. It was like, I love the <laughs> podcast. So thank you guys, you podcaster fans out there. Thank you for showing the love. Um, you can also follow us, you know, sub to the YouTube channel if you have not yet. You know, check us out on Twitter. Follow the Twitter page at Uncommon underscore Energy. We've also got a TikTok. I've been posting a little bit on the TikTok here and there, trying that out. Uh, we will have new episodes posted every single Tuesday morning, so be sure to stay tuned for them in the future. And good luck to anyone playing in Liverpool this coming weekend.